All right, well, good morning again, everyone. You know, every week when we gather here together, every week when we gather, I want to remind us about the grace of God. It's one of the objectives when we gather together around God's word. I want to, people are generally under-encouraged, and I want this time to be encouraging for you. I want to tell you about God's grace. This is an opportunity to remember his love, his goodness, his compassion towards you. That his mercy covers a multitude of sins. That's what grace essentially is. It's undeserved favor. It's undeserved kindness. So when we come together and we sing about grace and we remember God's love and his grace towards us, what are we saying? We're, we're acknowledging that we have undeserved, unmerited kindness and favor because of what Jesus has done. But as the philosopher Dallas Willard once wrote, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So we can never earn a relationship with God. We can't earn his love because grace is undeserved, right? It's unmerited favor and kindness. We can't earn a relationship with God. But a relationship with God will require effort. There's no way around it. Following Jesus requires effort. Or to put it the way Jesus did, in more stark terms, it will cost you your life. Because he tells you to give up your life. We're finally at the close of our series, The Difficult Words of Jesus. We've, for the past several weeks, we looked at things that he has said that sound unreasonable or as difficult to accept. Like, how can Jesus tell me not to worry? Like, are you kidding me? Or how can he tell me not to lust? That sounds impossible. Or how can he tell me that there's only one way to God? Like he is the only way. Every week we looked at something that he has said that was difficult and challenging. And today we're going to look at the challenge of discipleship. The call to come and die. To come and give up our lives. We're going to close this series by looking at the challenge of following Jesus. And we'll see four. The first three will be in, in the first point. Like we're going to look at the three of the challenges are in the first point. And, and it's more narrow. It's like the daily challenge of following Jesus. It's something that we might experience on a daily or regular basis. The last one is more broad. And it's the challenge to find life. All right. So we've got the daily challenge and the challenge to find life. Let's look at the first one, the daily challenge. Let me read 57 through 62 again. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go. Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So before this, uh, the Rohelia read another section as well. Before this, just to summarize, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die and rise from the dead. And then he turns to everyone else that's there and tells them what it's going to cost to follow them, follow him. They're going to also have to give up their life. They're going to have to pick up their cross and follow after Jesus. And we're going to look at what that means a little later. But there is a cost to following him. And the verses that I've just read for you, 
you see people mulling over this cost. Like, there are three people, and as they express a desire to follow Jesus, they're considering, is it worth it? And I call this, I consider this a daily challenge of following Jesus because it doesn't say it here, but I think this is something that we experience on a regular basis. For example, the first one is the, the struggle for control or the desire for control. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And look at what, what does Jesus say to him, right, or her? I, does it say who it is? It, okay, it doesn't say, right? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. What, is that, what does that communicate there to you? This is going to be uncomfortable. Like if, if, you were to, if someone were to say, hey, come and follow me or like tell you, hey, come and be with me, but I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Like animals know where they're going to sleep, but I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know where I'm going to sleep and what, where, where we're going to go. Like I can't tell you where that's going to be. Would you want to follow? What does that mean? That's uncertainty. There's a lack of certainty there. A lack of comfort, a lack of security. Or maybe another way to bring that all together is you are not in control. As you follow Jesus and you wake up every single day, you don't know where you're going to be. You don't know where he's going to take you. You can't dictate the terms. You can't dictate the direction you're going to have to trust. So for some who say, in you, and when you look at this in your life, it's I'll follow you, Jesus, but I need to know where you're going to take me. I got to know how this is going to end up. I got to know how this is going to end. Like following you, like the biggest challenge for me is that I need to have certainty. I've got to have comfort. I've got to have security. And that's difficult. And Jesus says, you must give up control. You know where we feel this most? It's when we find ourselves in a place where we didn't think we'd be. And you, you're, you basically say to yourself, well, where have you led me? This is not the way I thought life would turn out. This is not where I I thought I'd be by now. I followed you, Jesus, and I thought life would be different. This is not the way that I thought it was going to go down. You could not dictate the direction. What does Jesus say to us? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. When COVID hit, you may have lost your job, may have just moved to the city, you couldn't afford rent, or you lost loved ones in your life. Or for us as a church, we couldn't gather together after three weeks after launching. Like, we didn't plan life to be this way. This is not where we thought we'd be or we wanted to be, and we wondered if we wasted our time. Like, do we still want to follow Jesus? And the question essentially is, in that moment, when you can't dictate the direction, when you're not sure whether you'll have the comfort or the security, when there's a lack of certainty, will you still follow? That's the first challenge. You wake up tomorrow morning, you're not sure where it's gonna, where following Jesus is going to take you. Do you still want to follow when foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even know where he's going to lay his head? The second one. The first is the desire for control. The second is the desire to delay, to delay it. Jesus actually now goes to somebody and says, follow me, but he says, let me go and bury my father first. Now, there's some speculation on, and he, Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. There's speculation on whether this meant, like, let me, let my father pass away first, and after he passes, I'll, I'll, or it could be, it's most likely, let me go and take care of the arrangements for my father, and then I will follow you. However you, wherever you land on it, what Jesus says is, sounds unreasonable, right? Let the dead bury their own dead. It's difficult. You cannot delay this. 
Someone recently told me about a book. I haven't read it yet, but it's a book by Lisa Turkers called I'll Start Again on Monday. And I haven't read it, but I, I, it's, it's, it's just a brilliant title. Right? I think it's about like eating habits and all of that. I, but it's the story of our lives, or my life at least. Like, How often do we say that? Not just about diet and exercise, but about everything. I'll start on Monday. That work project, I'll start on Monday. The goals that I said that I want to set out for, I'll start on Monday. Or that, that work project or personal project, whatever it is, I'll start on Monday. And it feels empowering because it's like you're, okay, you're making a decision, you're scheduling it, you're, make, you're taking a step in the right direction, right? It feels empowering, like you're taking control of your life. But what goes unaddressed is that ongoing pattern of behavior where we continue to delay what matters, and what you have here, as difficult as this example is that we have here, that this instance where someone wants to go bury his father, what you have here is Jesus is essentially saying, don't delay discipleship. Like if there was ever an excuse to not follow Jesus, literally get a, like lace up your sandals and follow him, this would be it. And in giving us these difficult words, he's essentially saying, there is no excuse for delaying following Jesus, for delaying discipleship in your life. Now, I want to be very careful. You can hear that, and you could try to fill in blanks and draw connections that I don't want you to draw, okay? Like, for example, don't think, like, if you've got a funeral or a Bible study, Jesus calls you to the Bible study, right? Because that's the way to discipleship. That's not, this is a, in context, in that particular time, you're talking about Jesus walking on earth, the giver of life. To forego burying your father, to follow the giver of life, is to believe in him as the one who could raise it. Now, he, this, this person would not have been able to know and understand that. But you could see from Jesus' perspective, at least, like, I'm the giver of life. I'm, everything that you see has been made through me. I'm the one who could raise your father from the dead. Prioritize this. Prioritize the giver of life. In our context, we want to ask ourselves, what are the instances where we are delaying following the giver of life? where we are not prioritizing because we don't understand who Jesus is and we haven't fully grasped his promise. When we're not willing to delay following him because we understand who he is. There is no excuse for delaying discipleship. This is the other challenge that we find. It's not just a de a, the desire for control, but there's a desire to delay. Don't start on Monday. We could start today. We could start following him today. The third one, what do we see here? It's the desire to look back. Right? The third person says, I'll follow you. I'll follow you, but let me go and say bye to my family first. Very reasonable request again. But Jesus' response to him lets us know what's really there in this person's heart. He says, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and turns back is not worthy of the kingdom. So what's happening in, this, in expressing this desire to go and say bye to the family is it's actually, a, a, there's maybe a, there's some conflict in the heart. The heart is divided. He's looking back. And that's what's really at stake here. To go and plow a field, that person would have to, when plowing the field, would also have to goad the oxen and have a, like a laser-like focus on what's ahead. And looking back would cause that person to deviate ever so slightly, getting them to be off course. I was trying to think of a New York illustration, like where we have to be focused. Like if you're walking, you look straight ahead. Don't be like the tourists who are like everywhere and they're getting off course. Like basically what he's saying is don't be distracted. Don't be divided. Be focused. When you decide to follow me, follow me and don't, be, don't look back. 
It's reminiscent of the people of Israel after God had delivered them from slavery and brought them out of the land and, and brought them out of, out of Egypt. And, and as they were going to follow him into the land, they kept looking back. They looked longingly upon their slavery. That's where, that's where it got to. They're like, wasn't life better when we were in shackles and chains, right? Wasn't it better back then? We could do that sometimes. I mean, some of you may experience that. Wasn't life better before I followed Jesus? Wasn't it easier? Like, I gave this thing a shot. I tried, but it's not sustainable. Following Jesus is not sustainable. And what we're essentially being told here is, don't look back. That's the desire here. It's a desire to follow Jesus. And there's a conflict because there's still, he looks longingly upon his old life. And Jesus is saying, no, when you're following me, you, you, you give up the, the desire to look back. So here's the question. Of those three challenges, which do you struggle with the most? We talk about following Jesus. Do you str- struggle with the desire for control? Is that your reluctance? I don't, that's, that's what I find to be most challenging, to not know where he's going to take me. Is it the desire to delay? Is that the greatest challenge? Like, I want to follow him, but I keep delaying it, right? I'll start Monday. I'll start in, after this season, after, you know, after I act a fool a little bit more in my life, you know, after I, I, I flirt a little bit more with sin and disaster, right? I'll delay discipleship, or is it the desire to look back? You keep looking back at your former life longingly. In order to overcome these, it leads to the next thing. We need to face the broader challenge, which is the challenge to find life. The challenge to find life. Let's read 21 through 25. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So Jesus here, before those three instances, it's great that he gave this instruction, and at the very end of that particular chapter, you see it lived out. But what they're all struggling with in the struggle for control, to delay, or the desire to look back is really a challenge to find life. And he invites them, it really puts his response to them in context, because if you think about it, Jesus has just told them about his death and resurrection, at least the disciples. He's told them that he's going to die and rise from the dead. And then he turns to everyone and he says, essentially, you've got to follow this path as well. To follow me requires you to die in order to follow, find life. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Well, denying myself is not denying myself pleasure. It's not like saying I don't want to have carbs after seven, or right, or I don't want to eat chocolate for a season, or just giving up something for Lent. That's not denying what he means. It's not denying myself pleasure. It's denying yourself as the center of your life. And he makes that more clear. And he says, give up your life. Pick up your cross and follow me. 
We've really romanticized the cross when we, when we beautify it or we wear it around our, our necks and, and things like that. But the crucifixion was something that was so horrific, nobody would talk about it. And it was likely that as Jesus' followers heard him say, pick up your cross and follow me, they might have seen a person crucified that day on the way to him. So when you're following Jesus, they had a vivid picture of someone dying. It meant that they weren't going to come back, as A.W. Tozer said. One thing you knew about a person who would pick up their cross and follow Jesus, if you saw someone with a cross, you knew they weren't going to come back. He's saying, this is what it's like to follow me. You deny yourself as the center, and that feels like death. And you've got to do that daily, denying yourself as the center and putting God at the center and follow him. That means you orient your life around him and his words. I was sharing it with the team this morning. There is no discipleship without self-denial. None. No discipleship. I mean, we, we make a mockery of following Jesus. We think that we can be disciples of Jesus without denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following him. There is no discipleship without denying ourselves as the center. God must be the center. And all of this sounds so dreadful, right? Like, it's like, like, who wants to follow Jesus? Like, come and die. But that's essentially what we do anyway. Jesus isn't appealing to our desire for pain here. He appeals to our desire for life. I mean, notice what he says here. If anyone, whoever would save, verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Like, if you really want life, it's going to cost you to give it up. He's not appealing to pain. He's appealing to your true longing for life. If you really want it, it's going to cost you everything. You're doing it anyway. You're going to reorient your life around whatever promise of life your career gives you, education and academic pursuits give you, wealth gives you, fame Position, family, power, success. When you orient your life around it, it's because you believe in its promise, that it gives you a certain kind of life. It'll justify your existence. It'll finally make you happy and satisfy you. You're going to give up your life and reorient your life around something. And what Jesus essentially says, let's call that the world. You can gain all of those things and still lose your soul. So I want you to hear this. You can have the career of your dreams and the education, and the wealth, and the fame, and the family, and the power, and the position, and success. You can gain the world, all of those things, and still lose your soul. And the reason is because none of those things will ever die for you. None of those things will ever Give up its life for you. Your wealth will not die for you. Fame won't die for you. Your family won't die for you. Position, power, none of those things will ultimately give up their lives for you. Jesus did. This is why we could say you can have it all like we saying before. You can have the world. You can have it all. But give me Jesus. Jesus is the only one who would give up his life for us. And that's why I think it's so interesting, at least to his disciples. He tells them, before he calls them to come and die, he lets them know that he is going to do that. Right? Like I'm going, to, I'm going to bear the cross. I'm going to endure the shame, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And it's out of that understanding 
that he tells us, if you want life, you too must give up your life in order to find it. C.S. Lewis once wrote that, as, as we think about how dreadful this sounds, he once said that if you ask anyone today what is the greatest virtue, they'll say it's selflessness. But if you ask anyone of old what is the greatest virtue, they'll say it's love. And they can sound like the same thing. They could, we could think they're the same thing, but they're not. If you think what God ultimately calls you to is selflessness, you, you, you think of it in terms of what you're deprived of. Oh, he wants me to deny myself that I can't have this pleasure, I can't do this. Like, you think of selflessness in terms of what you can't have. But really what he's calling you to is love. He wants you to love life. True life, life abundant, life that he promises to give. He's not appealing to what you cannot have in your desire for pain. He's appealing to your desire for life. If you find yourself dissatisfied and longing for true life, he's inviting you to, to follow him. The call to die is really a call to decide where you're going to find life. I'm going to say that again. The call to die is really a call to decide for yourself, where am I going to find life? Am I going to find it in what we call the world? Or am I, and center my life around those things? Or am I going to find life in Christ and center my life around Christ? So I want you to think about this and how it relates to the prom, how his promises relate to the struggles that we mentioned before. When it comes to the desire for control, that's why you find it difficult to follow Jesus. We'll never give up control over our lives unless we believe that he is in control. We'll never step into uncertainty to follow Jesus unless we are certain about Jesus and his promise. We'll never make peace with not knowing where we're going unless we're convinced by the wisdom power and goodness of the one we're following. You don't need to know where you're going if you know who you're following. He's not going to lead you astray. What about the desire for delay? Well, we'll never prioritize discipleship unless we know Jesus is the giver of life. To, prior, to delay discipleship is to delay your own satisfaction. To de delay discipleship is to delay your experience of life. You'll never prioritize discipleship unless you know Jesus as the giver of life, the one who could raise us from the dead. The desire to look back. We'll keep looking back at our old life or to another life unless we're compelled by the love of the one who gave his life for us. We'll continue to look back longingly Unless Jesus, who's, who's, who is before us, is compelling to us. Tonight, we're going to have a, a class on baptism at 7.30. And, you know, baptism is, an, we're going to talk about this more tonight on our Zoom call. But baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. It's essentially when someone, you know, these days we might have a, a gap in time. Before when someone puts their faith in Jesus and the time they're, uh, they actually get baptized, but in Scripture, what we find is it's, it's the next step. They confess that Jesus is Lord, and they believe in him, and they're, like, looking for a body of water. Like, is there anywhere we could, we could baptize you, right? There's, it's, it, they just, it was a public expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. But today, when someone says that they're a Christian or they want to follow Jesus, I'll tell you from my perspective as a pastor, like, I, I want to make sure that they are 
that is genuine because there may be cultural reasons. There might be social pressure to be a Christian, and I want to make sure that it's genuine. And more times than not, and I'll do this for those who are participating tonight in the class as well, but more times than not, as I really try to get them to understand what, what the gospel says and if they believe, I'll ask a question. I'll ask, Will you do you still want to follow Jesus? Will you still follow him if tomorrow everything in life falls apart and you lose everything you love and the road ahead is one of suffering? Will you still follow Jesus? And when they say yes, I know that they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we cannot earn the life that Jesus promises, but it will require effort. There will be a cost to lose control, to not delay, to not look back, to not center ourselves, but center the one who loves us and gave himself for us no matter what lies ahead. This is what it means to follow Christ. And wherever you are today, whether it's a daily challenge for control, to delay, or to look back, or the challenge overall to find life, we can look to God right now and ask him to help us see Jesus as beautiful and compelling so that we can follow him. Let's pray.